0: From Susan G. Komen, this is Real Pink, a podcast exploring real stories, struggles, and triumphs related to breast cancer. We're taking the conversation from the doctor's office to your living room. Hey, Real Pink listeners! Today, I'm excited to have a special episode for you. Guest host Suzanne Stone, the executive director of Susan G. Komen Greater Central and East Texas, interviews Dr. Elizabeth Welberg, Komen scholar and assistant professor at the University of Colorado School of Medicine's Department of Pathology about if being obese causes breast cancer. This is a great interview and a timely one as New Year's resolutions are the top of everyone's mind. And here's Suzanne.
1: It's not enough to just say obesity as a global statement to explain breast cancer. What we're really trying to do is figure out what it is about the situation of obesity. Is it the inflammation? Is it the actual process of gaining weight? Is it high glucose? We know that obesity in itself is related to breast cancer, but we really still don't know exactly how.
2: Health and wellness, a term used so often today, it's almost one word. Health and wellness. You can find workouts and tips almost everywhere you look. From Pinterest to YouTube, everyone is a guru on what works best to get rid of those love handles and extra five pounds, air quotes. While we all know what we need to do to live healthy, and we all know that staying in our ideal weight range is important, I don't know that many of us have really considered how that extra weight can impact breast cancer care. With just a few studies ever done on this topic, Dr. Liz Welberg decided she needed to know the answer. I'm Suzanne Stone, and this is the More Than Pink podcast. Dr. Welberg is an assistant professor in the University of Colorado School of Medicine's Department of Pathology. She's also a Komen scholar. In fact, donations to Susan G. Komen funded her most recent groundbreaking research that connects obesity to the chances of breast cancer coming back. There is a lot of information out there about obesity, but there really isn't a whole lot of research that, that has been done around its impact on breast cancer. So I'm really curious, Dr. Welberg, what made you connect these two?
1: Um, well, I have always had an interest in breast cancer specifically since I started school, basically, and that's really because of um, my mom being a breast cancer survivor. But the work with obesity started to, I started to realize that that was important um, a couple of years into my training when I, I actually was working on a group project with some endocrinology experts, and um, I realized that obesity itself as a disease is, is very prevalent, and it's becoming more prevalent, especially in women. Um, and in children. And so um, there have been some human, human studies where they've, they've linked associations between excess body weight and the risk for breast cancer. And so I, I worked with a team of, of scientists to um, develop a model system that we could use to study that further. And we found some really exciting things.
2: Well, that's definitely what we want to talk about today. And I'm so glad that you're here because, you know, we, we hear all the time, we're supposed to be healthy, mm-hmm. right? And, and we're not supposed to be overweight and we're supposed to, to make good choices. I, I don't know that I would have thought that obesity had an impact mm-hmm. on breast cancer. So how does it impact breast cancer? Is it causing breast cancer? Um,
1: so that's a good question. And those things, so I can't answer that question specifically, but we do know that breast cancer is one of these diseases um, in in women in particular that uh, emerges in a situation such as um, hormone changes, like after menopause, um, and breast cancer is associated with uh, inflammation, and there's evidence that changes in your metabolism can actually influence breast cancer growth. And so if you think about obesity as a clinical condition itself, um, obesity is associated with all of all of those things, low-grade inflammation, changes and in disruptions in your hormone signaling, and changes in your metabolism. So it seems um, reasonable to think that uh, that an environment where all of those things are disrupted in the same situation would actually promote the growth of breast cancer.
2: Absolutely. I can can only think as a woman who's going through menopause, well, that's just like the trifecta right
1: there. That's that's exactly right. And we actually um, are focused specifically on what we call the menopausal transition, which it 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 takes a while for women it can be you know I think it's defined as a year you know basically of time that women um, can spend or more transitioning through menopause and um, during that time lots of things are changing and metabolism is changing hormones are not being produced by ovaries anymore but are instead being produced primarily by fat tissue for example um, and tissues become less sensitive to insulin and and some women have trouble controlling their blood sugar during and after menopause so yes that 's that is actually the specific environment that we 're focused on as one of the really um strong driving environments for tumor progression in the context of obesity and something that 's important to point out, you said earlier, you know people are are kind of made to feel like oh my gosh i shouldn 't I should be healthier i shouldn 't gain weight or i shouldn 't um you know, I should exercise and all of that. And, the, and yes, all of those things are true. We should, we should do all those good things. But um, it's, I feel like it's not enough to just say obesity um, as a global statement or a broad statement or, you know, broad sweeping brush or whatever is enough to explain breast cancer. So what we're really trying to do is figure out what it is about the, the situation of obesity. Is it the inflammation? Is it the actual process of gaining weight? Is it um, high glucose? or high sugar in your blood. So really, um, you know, we're, we know that obesity in itself is related to breast cancer, but we really still don't know exactly how. But we do know that the menopausal transition is, is a period of time that's, that's pretty um, tumor-promotional.
2: So that's really interesting that it really comes down to not just about gaining weight. It's not just about the fact that when you you turn 52 or whatever that magic age for you is, that it is you somehow put on 10 pounds just by waking up. Right. And, yeah. Right. What happened? Yeah. What happened here? <laughs> and and then all of these other changes that go along with it, but mm-hmm. it's it's all of these little factors put together yes. that, that kind of create this maybe magical Petri dish.
1: Exactly. Yeah. It's a very, we say, tumor promotional environment. And so what we're studying, um, one of the things that we're interested in studying is each of those things individually. So theoretically, if all of those components are required for tumors to grow, we should be able to interfere with really just like one or two of them um, and improve breast cancer risk and breast cancer prognosis. Um, And, you know, that's really important because with obesity being so common, it's easy to just command people, you need to lose weight and, and not really elaborate on that or tell people how or when or why or or anything like that and it can be really frustrating. So, um, there you know, the members of, of our group are really sensitive to that in patients and, and we wanna know if there's any if we can do a little bit better. So
2: let's talk about the details that mm-hmm. you and your team have really worked on. So I know one of those, um, is diabetes. You mentioned mm-hmm. that maybe, you know, insulin, um, the challenge around insulin as we get older as women. Um, what, what kind of impact do you see from a diabetes standpoint? I know several breast cancer survivors who have diabetes now.
1: Oh, okay. Well, that's a, re- so that's a really, really great question. So, um, some, One of the main um, sort of overarching hypotheses of my research program is centered on what I call this vicious cycle, which surrounds obesity and diabetes and breast cancer. And of course, on one end of that cycle is the effect that obesity and diabetes has on breast cancer risk and response to therapy. Um, Which is what I just published a paper on, and I can talk more about that in a second. But the other side of the cycle is actually the potential risk for diabetes in women who have been treated for breast cancer. Um, And if you think about this as a circle going around and around, it seems like um, obviously diabetes in itself is, is a disease that nobody wants to have to deal with. Um, so that, that on its own is a problem in breast cancer survivors, but then that could theoretically contribute to recurrence of cancer itself. Um, and so what, uh, what we're looking at is really focusing on the the estrogen receptor positive subtype of breast cancer and the drugs that are used to treat that, which those drugs that, that are used are really good drugs and they're, they've saved millions of lives and, um... Not all of them cause trouble metabolically, but there are some situations when some of those drugs can actually change a woman's metabolism such that later in life she's at a risk for developing diabetes. So we are in the process of studying that in in animal models, uh, mouse models, and identifying the specific effects of these drugs on tissues other than the cancer. So we're looking at the liver, we're looking at the muscle and the fat tissue and the pancreas, even in a very peripheral study, um, and looking at all of the ways that cancer drugs influence the entire patient, if you will, or the whole body.
2: So that's really interesting. So what you're saying is that a woman gets breast cancer, she's got ER positive mm-hmm. breast cancer. She um has gone through menopause, so she's mm-hmm. already got that. She's using a drugs um and I don't know which one specifically, but she's there taking yeah. Sure. So she's taking a drug that has this other effect, the side effect mm-hmm. of um, perhaps weight gain or some sort of metabolism mm-hmm. side effect right. which makes her um makes her, uh, makes diabetes more possible for her. She gets yes. diabetes and now suddenly <laughs> her risk factor for reoccur her risk for recurrence has just gone up.
1: Well, and so that's the theory, you know, that's that the theory. Is, if you put, yeah, if you put together all the studies on risk factors for, so, so um, to be, to turn into a super scientist for just a second, there has never been a study done that has followed a group of patients through that entire progression if that makes sense, like followed them from sure. first diagnosis to treatment to diabetes development to recurrence. That, that complete study in one, in one setup has not been done, but that's my hypothesis um, based on observations from multiple studies showing in, a risk for diabetes in some breast cancer survivors and then, of course, um, a risk for, for breast cancer relapse in people who have diabetes. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, and, and, you know, like I said, the drugs that are used for breast cancer are good drugs and, and, um, not using those drugs is not an option right in my opinion. And so, I mean, my own mother took, took those drugs and she's alive 34 years later. So, you know, I think they're really good. So, but, um, I think that we can do a good job potentially of knowing who is at risk for diabetes and why, and then, Offering some sort of interventions that would be aimed um, at being given, like during her treatment, so that she would lower her risk later for diabetes.
2: So you mentioned that you're using animal models now mm-hmm. to 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 look at some of those different things. Tell us about how you're using that and what um, what are you looking at in these mice that are similar to humans.
1: Well, so a lot of people do cancer studies in mice. You know, that's not a new thing. And a lot of people do obesity studies in mice. That's not a new thing. But what what we've done for the most recent study that we published is we used a a mouse model of obesity that was induced by um, a diet that's high fat and high sugar um i say it's kind of like cookie dough because the the fat is actually butter so <laughs> um it's like probably pretty delicious but um and and um so it's a diet induced model of obesity but but two things that we that we've done with this with our studies that we think are really exciting is number 1 um we're using what's called thermoneutrality and so that actually, that concept is basically based on the idea that all species, all living creatures, have a zone of temperature at which their body func- functions optimally. And um, the temperature at which the human body functions optimally and is most comfortable is slightly different than, um, than that of a mouse. It's actually a little cooler. Humans prefer to be a little cooler than mice. And so... Um, you, I mean, you can expect or you, could, you can see why studies on mice are done at temperatures that are comfortable for humans, because humans do the studies. But um, we found that if we increased the temperatures of their cages by just three degrees or so, um, that was enough to really make their metabolism um, change to the point that they gained a lot of extra weight, the way that we would see in some breast cancer patients and so um the other kind of innovative step that we that we've taken with this model is partnered with clinical oncologists and other breast cancer researchers to take um what we call patient-derived xenograft tumors so those are pdxs is a is a phrase that gets thrown around the breast cancer community um these tumor tissues are actually kind of leftover tissues from patients who consent to donate any extra tissue for research purposes. Who, these patients come to the clinic, they have surgery, the doctor does their diagnosis and all of the procedures their doctor needs to do, and then the extra tissue is given to the researcher so we can actually get um, human tumors and grow them in these mice. And we can get a hold of the most common subtype of human tumor, which is the estrogen receptor positive subtype. And the benefit to using this approach is is that subtype. Because a lot of times when you do studies in mice and you're relying on the mice themselves to get cancer, mouse cancer, they don't make the estrogen receptor the way humans do. So you can't really study a, a, a kind of cancer that represents like 70% of all cases. So that's what we've done um, is we use, a, like I said, a diet-induced model. Um, we, we house the animals within their thermoneutral zone so that they're, everything, all their systems are functioning perfectly or optimally like humans. And we, we study the most common subtype of breast cancer, that, especially that's common to obesity.
2: Well, I'd like to be a mouse only to try the the cookie the dough. The cookie dough, yeah.
1: I know. <laughs>
2: but that's really fascinating to be able to put um a human tumor inside a mouse mm-hmm. and then be able to effectively study what their environment and their um and their metabolism does to that tumor.
1: Right. Yeah, and that and so that's what that's what we we've done. And You know, I mean, it's, there are a lot of things going on in, in the environment of obesity. We focused specifically on a pathway, like a growth factor pathway that we, that we studied in, that seems to be activated in the fat tissue. But that's not, that's probably not the only thing going on. And, and the good news is now we have this model system and we have all of these tumors, um, that we can really start to figure out how, how, um, obesity makes cancer different.
2: So let's go to that. Let's talk a little bit more about that growth factor signaling for, mm-hmm. for us non-scientists out right. there.
1: What does yeah. that mean? <clears throat> Excuse me. So growth factors are little proteins that are produced by all the cells in your body. Um, and there are, a lot, there are hundreds of them, thousands of them. And what they're designed to do is basically help your cells grow normally. Um, because your body's always, you know, making new cells. Cells are always dividing. Tissues are always kind of regenerating. You know, um, your wounds heal, stuff like that. You know, your infections get get um, killed off. And anyway, so these growth factors are normal. And what what we studied is the ones that are specifically produced by the fat tissue that surrounds the, the breast tumor. Um, and we know from from some human, some population-based studies that weight gain in the context of obesity and metabolic disease, which is like high glucose and high insulin, high sugar and high insulin, we know that those things are really important for breast cancer. So within our model, our mouse model system, we focused on that the period of time when the animals were actually gaining weight and um, in the context of obesity and high sugar and insulin. Okay, so that was the environment. And we found that... um the fat tissue in those circumstances is producing growth factors. And if, if you think about it, that actually makes sense because when you are gaining weight, your fat tissue is growing. And so it's designed to produce these little proteins to signal from one cell to another, um, to grow and divide and make new blood vessels and just basically grow. You know, that's what they do. The problem is if, there's a, if there are cancer cells there that can... Also use that growth factor, so that's what we found is that during this process of of weight gain and growth of the fat tissue, basically, um, the cancer cells that were there, even though we took away estrogen like you would in the clinic, um, they just went ahead and used the growth factors and they couldn't couldn't have cared less that we took away the estrogen. so then we were able to block that growth factor pathway using using specific drugs. And that made the cells then die after we took away estrogen. Wow. Yeah. So we were, we were pretty excited about that. Um, so it could, I mean, you know, what we're thinking is now, is this a pathway that we can really focus on in patients who who have obesity specifically? And that's one of the things that we're interested in finding out. And another thing that we're interested in looking at is, um, is there a way to prevent the, the fat tissue from making those growth factors? Um, you know, under certain conditions. Because what was really interesting is um, uh, this fat tissue in in people, we had some clinical samples in there too, but in people who gained weight, who were obese, but who did not have metabolic disease, their tissue did not make the growth factors. So there's something about the metabolic disease combined with the weight gain combined with obesity that's really a bad environment. And so that's, sort of our next step is to figure out how the fat tissue is different in that context.
2: So it's not just about being obese. No. That itself is not the trigger, right. at least from what you've found. But instead, there have to be multiple, multiple things going on that cause those fat tissues... Those fat cells to to and and everything to grow, not just the fat cells, but right. the the tumor cells as well.
1: yeah, that's what we think. that's what we think. We think that 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 you know it's just not simple enough to use BMI, you know, the body mass index, right. which is where you get like the normal weight, overweight, obese classification. That's a good start but that does not give us enough information. Because within those categories, there are going to be differences in metabolism, there are going to be differences in weight gain, and there are going to be other differences that we don't even probably know about yet.
2: Right, because uh, a woman may be obese at 32 and not undergoing those metabolism changes that she might be undergoing at 52.
1: Exactly. That's exactly right. And coincidentally, this estrogen receptor positive breast cancer subtype is not um, promoted with obesity in, in women who are not menopausal. So there's definitely some something beyond simple uh, classification of obesity. And so we're, we're just trying to make our system better and more like the human condition so that we can really begin to dissect out these pathways and figure out what we can target and when we can target it and who is our target population.
2: Your research absolutely has big implications on the patient, the current patient population when you talk about recurrence, Mm -hmm. but then also on those women who have not been diagnosed yet or who do not have breast cancer yet, but perhaps live in that high risk category.
1: Right. Yeah, it, that's true. And so we, and what we know, um, from a lot of different studies, both in, in patients and in animal models, is that weight loss is, is a great idea. If you can, if you can achieve weight loss, for example, um, a lot of people ask, well, I've already gained weight, is it too late? No, it's definitely not too late. Losing weight or exercising or, um, improving your metabolism, through, like, diet and exercise, those things all improve um, things that we know are associated with breast cancer, such as inflammation, um, lowers your blood glucose, and, um, can, you know, can even, like, in some cases, lower your hormone levels that would contribute to breast cancer growth. So, I mean, there's... there's um, there's a lot of research going into weight loss right now and how do we achieve it? How do we sustain it? And um almost everything that we've that we've seen so far suggests that uh it's beneficial. Even if you've already gained weight, it's still beneficial to to try to lose it.
2: So what ta- what about women who have already been diagnosed with breast cancer? They've already gone through breast cancer treatment, so now they are in that survivorship stage.
1: Right. Mhm.
2: And they are you know, they are postmenopausal and they are carrying an extra thirty or forty pounds. Right. What do what does what does treatment look like or continued treatment, right? Because they're using those drugs still, likely, right. um, as your as your mom did.
1: Uh-huh. What yeah. is so,
2: how does that affect
1: them? Um well, and what so what I think about when I think of that population of people who who is in the window of their cancer kind of gone away, they're still on the treatments, but during this postmenopausal period, um, I really think it's important for, um, for people to continue to try to live a healthy lifestyle during their treatment. And one of the things that I'm trying to figure out, and, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a, or I'm not a doctor, I'm not a physician, so I can't make recommendations along those lines, but what I'm trying to use my models to figure out is do we need to be monitoring people like doing you know, a blood test for hemoglobin A1C or some kind of um, fasting glucose test, or doing some kind of measure of people's metabolism and monitoring their body weight changes or their body composition changes, perhaps more importantly, um, during their breast cancer treatment as a way of identifying those patients who may be at risk for complications later on? So um what we have a program uh here at the University of Colorado w- for all cancer patients not just breast cancer patients where they can they can go over to our wellness center and actually get uh get with a personal trainer and and dietitians and go through a pretty comprehensive diet and exercise program while they're on treatment
2: which would ultimately according to your work and and some common sense but definitely according to your work and the studies that you've done will impact potentially, whether or not that breast cancer comes back?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I would I would guess that it would. That would be my prediction. Yeah. And at the very least, it'll likely impact their development of other diseases like diabetes, you know.
2: Which is another factor for the Petri dish.
1: Exactly. Exactly. It's just, it all goes together. So, you know, and, and these things can't, this is why we have to use these somewhat complex Model systems really that incorporate a lot of variables and put them all together and then begin to piece them out you know in in ways that we can only do in in the model systems can't really do it in people and you certainly can't do it in isolated cells in a dish you know we got we got to use these animal systems and it's it's really beneficial and I think we're making a lot of progress.
2: It sounds like you're making tons of progress. I will tell you one of the things I love about my job is getting to raise money. So that 25 cents of every dollar, if we have donors listening, right? 25 right. cents of every dollar <laughs> that, that we raise goes to fund research like yours. Mm-hmm. Because some of the money that we raised funded this research.
1: It did. That's right. And I am grateful. Yeah. Oh, this, this study wouldn't have been published without my, without my common funding. A hundred percent.
2: Yeah. It's a pretty impactful thing and it's very and, Yeah. And we can't thank our donors enough for that.
1: That's right. Thank you. <laughs> so,
2: absolutely. So tell us what the next steps are. I mean, we've talked a lot about, um, your, your great hypotheses and where you and your team at the University of Colorado are headed. Mm-hmm. What, what are those next steps for you and, and for somebody who's a patient or a patient advocate or just somebody who's a part of somebody's breast cancer journey, what can they do to help impact a study like clinical trials or what, what's next?
1: Um, well, that's so uh, there's a lot, you know, I, I have this problem of having like a 100 things that I want to do next. <laughs> um, so I think that for me, the next big thing that I want to do is I want to really um, get some literature out there that, that really shows that we can study this risk for diabetes after breast cancer treatment. I want to get that out there because that's, I think, a really big... That has the potential to make a really big impact because right now is when women who are currently or about to go on treatment can start just being monitored in specific ways to monitor monitor their metabolism. And I think um, doctors or physicians are definitely aware of of changes that go on around a woman's body when she's undergoing cancer treatments. But um, I think it's really important that patients right now who are going through treatment and who, you know, or, or those women who are about to start treatment, just pay attention to how your body feels. I mean, this, the idea for my project, for this this diabetes project, actually came from my patient advocate. Her name's Sabrina. And she and I were having coffee one day and she said, I didn't, you know, she, she felt like her metabolism changed dramatically when she was taking tamoxifen, which is one of the drugs that is given to women with ER-positive breast cancer. And she said she wasn't the only one that felt that way. And, and so I think I just want to encourage people that, you know, it, we don't, just because your doctor hasn't talked to you about something, he, they, we just may not know yet about things that are going on. And so if you feel strange, it feels like something's changing in your body, talk to your doctor. And it's never, um, as long as you're healthy enough for exercise, um, it, it, it can't hurt to, to exercise and to try to maintain, you know, a healthy weight during your treatment.
2: It's easy to assume that health and wellness is a choice. Dr. Welberg's study tells us that for breast cancer patients, that may not be totally true, but we each hold the power to make a choice every day to positively impact our future. The difference is in the details and we must continue to look at the trees to see how that forest was built. A big thank you to Whole Logic for making each and every podcast possible. We record our podcast at the iHeartMedia studios on South Congress in the amazing city of Austin. We couldn't do it without you guys. Thanks, Mike, our studio technician, for putting all of the pieces together and making us sound great. To our Komen Austin team, who make everything happen behind the scenes, and of course, to our donors— save lives every day by investing in the work that we do. If you're on social media, well, you can find us there. Follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, and Instagram. Tell us what you think and what you'd like to hear about. We love to hear from you. Susan G. Komen Austin is an affiliate of the Susan G. Komen Breast Cancer Foundation. If you need resources, information, or just have a comment about this or any of our episodes, Reach out. You can find us at podcast at and visit us online at KomenAustin.org. Thanks so much for listening and for sharing a few minutes of your time with us today. Until next time, be more than pink.